On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we provide the latest news and information in the ASC industry, review recent survey experiences, we'll discuss accreditation trends, and discuss the latest news from Quad A with its CEO, Tom Terranova. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers, Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 203 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for October 20th, 2023. Recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, co-host of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Operations Manager for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. We would like to remind our listeners that the ASC regulatory environment is a rapidly evolving landscape, and the material presented in this episode is based on the most current information available as of the date of recording. As such, it is important to recognize that this information may be subject to change, and we advise all ASCs to stay up to date with the latest regulations and guidelines issued by the relevant regulatory bodies. Joining me today is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and one of the most respected experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. With over 30 years of experience, Mr. Gailey has authored over 10 books on the ASC industry, and he is a sought-after speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So, so we're recording on a Friday before you and I actually mm-hmm. uh, go away for a, uh, a relatively short vacation, but we're yep. going to take in the uh, the beautiful... The uh, sights and sounds of New York City. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even though we go there all the time. Yeah. But we're going to do, uh, yeah, yeah. do a little uh, cruise up the, up yeah, the Hudson, Hudson River to, mm-hmm. to watch all the trees yeah. uh, changing, which seems kind of funny since we can see them changing in our backyard, in our I forest. Know. But, but it'll be, be fun. Also the water and on a boat. It should be really – it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're looking forward to getting away. And then we're going to be uh, visiting uh, – a couple of our clients, and then I think Wednesday of next week, we're going to be at the New York uh, New Jersey Association New Jersey. meeting, one of the quarterly meetings. And uh, uh, by the way, Sue, I have uh, talked to them. We're going to be recording a special episode from there, too. Good. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, we've, you know, we, we talked a couple episodes ago about uh, a negative survey experience, mm-hmm. and uh, we have had some fantastic survey experiences really in, the, in the last uh, two weeks, some really great surveyors, good education being provided, and, of course, a lot of good outcomes. Congratulations yes. to all of our centers that passed with no condition-level citations. And uh, they're really um, – it just shows how, how um, you know, how, how people that are really – committed to high quality care and, mm-hmm. and to doing the right mm-hmm. thing and to uh, following the rules can uh, can breeze through these surveys. I don't know if they would say breeze through them, but um, it certainly, uh, they, you know, they all got some rave uh, comments from the mm-hmm. surveyors. So uh, kudos. I, I, I think after that one experience, I think we were just all kind of mm-hmm. upset about it and we forget that most yeah. of the time we have very good experiences. Speaking about high-quality centers, we have five of our uh, ambulatory surgery centers uh, at Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies that are on the best ASCs list from uh, Newsweek. Um, now, we have to be very careful here because mm-hmm. the rankings are based upon recommendations from medical professionals and, and then self-submission of information. As a result, there are, there are many excellent facilities that did not go through that process. And likewise, there are, there are likely to be centers on the list that are very good about self-promotion. Nonetheless, we're so proud of our centers. And I just want to list them here. Uh, Gramercy Surgery Center, Gramercy Surgery Center, Queens, Manhattan Reproductive Surgery Center, Worcester Ambulatory Surgery Center in Ohio, and Duchess Ambulatory 
Surgical Center. And uh, hopefully I didn't leave anybody out there. So mm-hmm. I, there's 450 on yes. that list. So uh, <laughs> it, uh, it was uh, mm-hmm. something that uh, took me a little bit of time to, to go through. But congratulations to all of those, those top-ranked centers. And if you haven't visited our new sister website yet, make sure you pop over to ASC Central, and that's at asc-central.com. This is where all of our educational programs, our, our uh, renowned boot camps and our patron program, as well as our brand new premium access program are, is now located, are now located. Uh, and there is a link to the new website on ascpodcast.com. Uh, and over the next few weeks, we'll be cleaning up that ASC podcast website to make it look a little less cluttered as we move all of the conference and membership programs over to ASC Central. Sue, you and I uh, engaged a consultant to uh, help us to uh, figure out how to better do these websites. Mm-hmm. And uh, his first comment at looking at ASC podcast is, wow, that's a lot of information on one page. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do so much yourself and, and yeah. I mean, you do amazingly well. But, you know, I think sometimes having an expert sort of chime in just kind of helps or, or just a fresh eye kind of looking I, at it. Exactly, exactly. And and I think what's happened is over time these websites just, you know, they grow organically mm-hmm. uh, instead of with, a, you know, goal in mind. And I just remember how many more things can I fit on this webpage? Mm-hmm. So he, he came up with some great ideas. So definitely visit asc-central.com. Well, when you think of how much – You've added just in the last couple of years how much yeah. we've grown and and all the different educational programs that we've added and the resources. It's I know, and, it's and we're doing amazing. five boot camps a year now, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as well as all of our, our regular uh, programming. So, uh, and that speaking of which, our director of nursing boot camp is coming up starting October thirty first to November third, twenty twenty three. It's going to be presented virtually like all of our boot camps. And this is a a mentored program that provides a wealth of information for the busy and overworked clinical leaders in your ambulatory surgery center. And so, you know, people keep asking me the question when they're signing up for the program, what's going to happen if I miss a day? And we keep having to point out that all of you are probably going to miss at least part of a day yes. or something will happen. Mm-hmm. So we totally understand that. And uh, uh, we, I guess you would say we expect it. Uh, yeah. And that's why we record all of these conferences and they mm-hmm. get access to the, the programs for at least six yeah. months. We always guarantee at least six months. But uh, frankly, I don't think I've cut anybody off, even those from 2021 yet. So yeah, and it's more a matter of, of wondering if maybe the information might change or something. Right, it's right. not that we don't want to allow you to have access. Yeah, I don't think anybody that uh, took the boot camp during the pandemic mm-hmm. wants to, uh, <laughs> wants to be, relive all moments. of that. Uh, and, uh, Sue, I just got approval from BASC for people that have the CAS credential okay. uh, for 28 AEUs. So that's a substantial number. That's more than one year's worth of the requirement mm-hmm. for AEUs. So if you're a nurse that is a CAS certificate holder, uh, you'll get 28 AEUs for that. Uh, and it's in a wide range. I think it's in every category of uh, uh, that's required for CASC. Um, and coming up in November, we have the Introduction to Finance and Accounting mm-hmm. in Ambulatory Surgery Centers and our new and updated ASC Conditions for Coverage and Interpretive Guidelines Conference. Uh, and those are going to be on consecutive days in November, the 16th and 17th. Sue, why do I come up with these extremely long titles for these conferences? <laughs> Just want people to know what they're getting. That's right, exactly. Uh, we already have uh, record-breaking attendance for the conferences, and while I don't think we're going to sell out the 1,000 <laughs> slots that we have, yeah. it's sure to be quite an interactive conference mm-hmm. uh, experience for both of those conferences with that many people. These two conferences are actually uh, driven by uh, comments from our patron members mm-hmm. and from previous boot camp members who uh, pointed out that uh, while uh, they love our accounting uh, section of both the administrators and uh, – well, the administrator, the director of nursing, and the um, – uh, business office manager boot camp, mm-hmm. um, many feel like they need something even more basic. So yeah. uh, knowing that and, and knowing people uh, that are trying or nurses in particular that are trying to uh, pass the CASC exam don't mm-hmm. have a lot of training in finance yeah. and accounting. Uh, this course is designed for you or really anybody that wants to know more about finance. So mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, um, a great uh, great opportunity to, to learn the basics there over eight hours. And Sue, like all of our conferences, they're <coughs> going to be entertaining. You know, we always have Rosie. Rosie, as a matter of fact, is sitting right next to us now. She is our uh, English Cream Golden Retriever, for those that don't 
know all about her. Uh, so she'll probably make an appearance, and we'll probably have some puppy pictures because we. Okay. Uh, it's hard we're to not going to have puppies. They're not puppies we'll, anymore. We'll have pictures from when they were puppies, yes. but well, pictures None coming of, yet. So we'll just have those <laughs> randomly pop up, probably at the most stressful times. You know, yes. when, when we've just introduced a lot of. Of uh, Don't difficult worry, information. Here's puppies. <laughs> um, and likewise, it, no one ever presents a four, full day course on mm-hmm. the conditions for coverage. And yes, uh, it is hard to make that entertaining, but I think we do. Uh, so eight hours discussing uh, the conditions for coverage, as all of you know, I'm hoping uh, that's the Medicare uh, regulations that we all have to live under yeah. and the interpretive guidelines. And it, You know, it's just the foundation for everything. So. It is. I think yeah. it's, you know, I'm kind of surprised that we don't see more out there. Yeah. You know, just giving that simple, kind of breaking it down for people, you know. Well, well and I've had conversations with uh, education, uh, you know, people that are involved in the education at both the state level and nationally. And the comment is, uh, well, first of all, they have such limited time. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody mm-hmm. can really afford to put on a full-day conference like we can virtually. And, yeah. uh, and, and then the other thing is that, uh, you know, there is – you know, there there aren't a lot of people that can talk the basics. Uh, yeah, not to, you know, I'm kind of a basic guy. Um, so no, I well, think, no, but having that deep knowledge because right. of being a surveyor and just having been in it for so long. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> no, I said so long. <laughs> but you do have so you know when you go to conferences, somebody might be able to give you. You, you know, go in depth and into one of the sections. But right. Really, you know, you can give the whole. Whole gamut of everything. Yeah, and and uh, to that end too, uh, we're going to be re-recording our credentialing uh, conference. We're actually going to rename it credentialing and peer review. I don't know if it's going to be two days. Right now, it's looking about twelve hours or a day and a half. Okay. Uh, might be two days, and that's going to be in January. We haven't announced it yet because I'm still trying to get some things settled, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll we'll be announcing that soon. And for those that can't wait, if you're a patron member of the podcast, you get uh, access to that conference for free. The 2021 version of it. And don't forget, both of those November conferences, each of them have uh, AE, uh, eight AEUs each for people that are CASC certified. So, Sue, you uh, were visiting the uh, our friends over at ASCQuality.org uh, mm-hmm. and found a lot of great information the other day. I did. We use this usually for um, benchmarking, but I realized when I was looking a little bit deeper into their site, they have some really good resources and toolkits for hand hygiene, safe injection, endoscope reprocessing, fall prevention, and a few other areas. And those, it's like I clicked into one section, and then there's more to go into in that section. So I really didn't even get through it all. But they have assessments. They've got educational materials for staff and providers um, and things that you can help to educate your patients. Um, They've got survey tips, like here's what the surveyors are going to be looking for sections, Um, posters, competencies, like with the hand hygiene there were several different posters, so you know you could kind of switch them up so people don't just get blind to yeah. what they're seeing every single day, um, and just a lot of other items. So if you find these tools on the ASC Quality Collaboration site under Advancing ASC Quality ASC Tips. And so. we'll uh, provide a link to that mm-hmm. uh, that valuable resource, and we'll make sure we include it in our patron website too yeah. for – Actually, we'll probably make a more direct one in, in there just to be able to break them down between mm-hmm. the different things. There's a lot of information there. You showed me that. Yeah, it's a lot of information and could be very helpful. And we have some updated news, of course, as we always do. So I just wanted to give an update on USP 800, um, what the requirements are. The update to the DEA reporting of theft or significant losses of controlled substances. Now, in the final rule, which was effective June 24th, 2023, DEA registrants will be required to submit all DEA 106 forms electronically. Those are the um, what you report the theft or, or significant losses on that form. The electronic submission must be completed within 45 days after the discovery of the loss or theft. And the rule does not change the requirement to preliminarily notify the DEA field division office within one business day of the discovery of the loss or theft. So if you have any questions with reporting, you can call the DEA Help Center at 800-887-9539. So really the the main difference is you have to fill out that form electronically. They will not accept any um, paper forms anymore and that you have 45 days to completely fill that out. So that's good. It sounds like uh, we're finally moving to an electronic version. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I know there are some people that still like the paper, but uh, th- this yeah. certainly makes the process a lot easier. And in October's Outpatient Surgery magazine, there was an article about reducing SSIs 
through nasal decolonization. So Kimberly Candre, um, who is the infection prevention manager at Northwest Medical Center in Tucson, Arizona, noticed that they had an increase in infections. Um, and when she checked into it, she found that the patients were very resistant to using the povidine iodine swabs, you know, those orange yeah. staining things. Yeah. That, um, they didn't like that it was messy. And they also said, some, you know, that, that it sometimes kind of burned their noses. So they decided to switch to an alcohol-based nasal antiseptic, which they applied to the patient's nares within an hour of surgery. The patients were much more accepting, and the center also saved a significant amount of money by buying a less expensive product. More importantly, they had a, a very significant drop in the number of infections, which obviously results in happier, healthier patients and, and more cost savings because you're not treating those infections. So it's just something to you know, possibly take a look at if you're noticing your patients are resistant to that. Right. So, Sue, so we, uh, we know we got a, a, a memo from HHC, and it's been validated by a couple other accrediting organizations that the uh, accrediting organizations have been notified by CMS in a, in a memo that they're no longer allowed to do things like uh, provide blackout dates or provide mm-hmm. notification at like 7 o'clock in the morning, which I think is the Joint Commission's way of doing things. Yeah. Uh, so uh, these surveys have to be totally unannounced. There's no... Uh, no pre-planning, uh, you know, vacations and things like that. There's a lot of mm-hmm. – we've had quite a bit of feedback from our clients that they're kind of upset yeah. about this. But I'm sorry. that it is, It's not the accrediting organizations that's yeah. doing that. This is coming right from CMS that doesn't want any indication that a survey is going to be to- coming. And I do I, – I understand their point about the facilities always being survey ready. I mean, they, right. they don't want you to say, well, you know, we don't have enough people on staff. To, well, you know, you have to always be prepared. But – it's also been brought up that, you know, what if they're maybe not doing cases on certain days? They know that they're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but Wednesdays they rarely have cases. If you can't ask to have those days or yeah. you're going to be, you know, closed for for an, you know, a, a holiday that um, – Like a Jewish holiday. I don't know if you can still say – yeah. Right. Yeah, because, um, you know, the, survey, the surveyors will show up and they won't be able to conduct a full survey. So either they're going to miss, you know, seeing a procedure, which really – cuts into the quality of the survey or, or nobody will have be to there come at all. back yeah. and then you know does the center get charged for that so so there are some you know concerns about this well and and what uh, what we have heard from the accrediting organizations is the most important thing is that if you have an unplanned uh, day in other words where mm-hmm. the you cancel all of your cases nobody will be there uh, notify in writing to the accreditation organization mm-hmm. so they have that information they might not uh, be able to do anything about mm-hmm. a survey that's pending, but at least that gives them that information that surveyor is not going to show up on a day that there's just not going to be anybody there at all. Yeah. So uh, obviously we've been talking a lot today about uh, accreditation, and uh, there's there's a lot going on in the accreditation industry right now. Uh, accreditation has become very competitive. Uh, we uh, I recently asked an audience uh, in uh, Illinois during a presentation on uh, kind of uh, survey trends, how many people were considering changing their accrediting organization. Mm-hmm. And two, I was, I was shocked to see about a third of the audience raise their hands. And we know from our own experience with uh, some of our clients that have had, you know, s- survey experiences that have been less than favorable, not, not because of um, – you know, bad outcomes. Our, our clients really don't have that. Um, but because of uh, uh, surveyors that they felt weren't terribly uh, friendly or not very um, uh, consultative or educational. Uh, and as a result of that, you know, some of them are looking at other accreditation organizations. Uh, and, you know, it's no longer an option for an accreditation organization to come in looking to punish organizations. We're, uh, you know, in, in 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 my experience, especially at Triple H C, you know, we we take you know extreme steps to make sure that our surveyors are uh, really as consultative and as educational as can be. I mean, they're there, you know, obviously to uh, to identify issues and to determine whether the organization mm-hmm. should be accredited or if it's a deemed status survey credential certified. But we're you know, I think the the big difference with accreditation versus you know state and CMS surveyors is that accreditation surveyors are expected to suggest solutions mm-hmm. in addition to pointing out those deficiencies, and we know from our experience with state surveyors they're really not allowed to do that. And I think that's the big advantage of having an accreditation organization in there is that they're not just pointing out the problem, but they're helping mm-hmm. you to resolve them, or even just making friendly suggestions. Many things mm-hmm. that that occur, or, or many uh, comments that are made. 
made during an accreditation survey never show up in the final report. They're just saying, hey, would yeah. you ever think about doing things differently? Well, the point is <clears throat> to improve patient care. So if you just go in and and criticize and don't give any suggestions, unless it is a, a dangerous center, obviously, right. then you're just shutting it down. But um, otherwise, it, what is the point of, of not helping the place to improve. That's right. And, you know, when I'm a surveyor and, you know, I've been a surveyor for over 20 years off and on. And, uh, you know, I, I always try to be consultative. And there's been times, Sue, when I've gone in and, you know, unfortunately, it has been a, a difficult survey. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly the organization um, um, is not survey ready, is not uh, in compliance. And, and those surveys don't necessarily go off well, but I try to do it with a smile and to try to be consultative mm-hmm. and at least head them in the right direction. Um, but, the, but you know, the, it's a competitive environment now and uh, we really, uh, you know, we talked recently about a survey experience, a poor survey experience with unprofessional surveyors who were not collaborative. Uh, and interestingly, uh, when we complained to the uh, accrediting organization, uh, the accrediting organization took it very seriously and actually they have reached out uh, for more information from the center. So that's very okay. – uh, that's good. I mean, I mm-hmm. expected it um, and it was nice to see that they did it and they acted very quickly. So I'm going to be doing a number of presentations over the next year about the evolving trends in accreditation. I think we're going to include a session in our June 2024 uh, multi-state conference. Don't forget to uh, sign up for that as soon as I make it available. Uh, but that'll be a, a certainly a, a big demand right now for discussions about uh, accreditation trends. Mm-hmm. And a few months ago, uh, my friends over at Quad A, formerly the Accreditation Association for Accreditation of Ambulatory Surgery Facilities. No wonder they call themselves Quad A. <laughs> I was going to say, you thought you had long <laughs> Yeah, I had to look it up too because I could not remember all yeah. of those initials. But well, anyway, my friends over there um, – especially Michonne, who uh, I knew from my Triple H C days. Uh, she reached out to me to discuss what they're doing uh, to re- rebrand the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had an opportunity to speak to their CEO, Tom Terranova. And so let's take a short break. And when we come back, we can listen to that interview. As a leader in the ambulatory surgery industry, you already know that the ASC podcast with John Gailey is your ultimate free resource for staying updated with the latest news and information while ensuring your organization maintains regulatory and accreditation compliance. But did you know that we have two membership programs on our partner website, ASC Central, that can take your organization to the next level? For just $25 a month, our patron program will unlock a host of amazing benefits. Enjoy regular Zoom meetings with our hosts and special guests, access to recorded conferences like our credentialing seminar, conditions for coverage conference, medical director conference, and our most recent two-day multi-state conference. The patron program also offers a comprehensive database of policies, forms, drills, example minutes, and other invaluable resources to optimize your center's operations. For those centers that want even more, our new ASC Central Premium Access Plan offers a variety of online services to its members. The benefits include access to a wide range of services, including all of the benefits of the patron program, unlimited access to our popular boot camps, the ASC industry's most comprehensive training for ASC leadership. Members can attend any number of the ASC Administrator Boot Camps and ASC Director of Nursing Boot Camps and can listen to the recordings throughout their membership. It also includes unlimited access to the industry's most comprehensive infection control training designed for infection control coordinators and those that wish to take the Certified Ambulatory Surgery Center Infection Preventionist exam. And the program also includes up to five hours of private consultations by Zoom. For more information about these two programs, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com or click on the links in the show notes. I had the pleasure of uh, being with Tom Terranova. He is the Chief Executive Officer for Quad A. Uh, welcome to the show, Tom. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me, John. So uh, this is actually the first time we've had Quad A on our podcast in our six years, uh, not for lack of trying, but uh, I, I, you know our mutual friend uh, Michonne uh, Mayfield, of course, has been very instrumental in pulling this together. So I, I do want to thank uh, Michonne for expediting this and and getting such a high level person on the show. Not only uh, not only having an interview, but talking to the CEO himself. So again, thank you for taking the time to uh, to do this interview. Well, thank you. And and really the fact that we haven't been here is I think to our detriment. Um and and the fact that we are here now is is a credit to Michonne. And Michonne has been a great coup for us, uh hiring her a few years back. Her over 20 years of experience in the accreditation game yeah. really is a uh a boon to our organization and to our staff. So uh, I'm pleased that she could put this together and I'm really happy to be here because I think uh getting our mission and our organization out there more to ASCs is incredibly important. And something that, again, for our own failing, haven't done in the past. So I'm, I'm happy to have that this opportunity. And, and I started off by, uh, you know, before we started recording, by you know, admitting, of course, that I am in a uh, and a surveyor with a, a, an alternative, shall we say, organization out there. So uh, I come from a different perspective, but. Uh, Ambajori Healthcare Strategies uses all four of the major accrediting organizations out there, so we're familiar with all the organizations. And uh, um, so, you know, sometimes I'm probably going to ask questions that are a little bit more oriented toward, you know, what what I'm familiar with. But uh, I do appreciate that, uh, you know, well, and we all appreciate that organizations uh, have a choice uh, between different accrediting organiza- accrediting agencies. And I think uh, we have to acknowledge now that there is really competition there. So, but. Let's first by, start by talking about what – there's been a lot of changes at Quad A, not the least of which is your name. So why don't you walk us through what's been changing? Sure. So, you know, just in terms of, of kind of broader overview, you know, Quad A has been around since 1980. Um, and as many people know, and probably part of the reason that some organizations sort of put us in the back of the mind or write us off is our origin really was in plastic surgery and was in the office-based realm. And so – our niche has largely been small to medium-sized centers, uh, but we've been an accrediting agency uh, approved by Medicare deeming authority since 1997. So we've been in the ASC game for a while, but I think is a quieter player than than some of the other organizations. And we certainly recognize there's competition out there, and and we think there's room for all of the the other agencies, and there's certainly fits right rightness of fit for certain centers, uh, and, and we don't shy away from that. But we think our our program stands on its own. We have undergone uh, quite a few changes, including our name. So um, as you can imagine, the American Association for Accreditation of Ambulatory Surgery Facilities is quite the mouthful yeah. and makes every phone call, answering every phone call, quite uh, quite an ordeal. Uh, you can't get through too many calls if you have to say all that. So um, a couple of years back, uh, I guess about two years now, we uh, engaged an agency to kind of do some market research and figure out what resonates with patients, what resonates with practitioners and in the industry, and really because we did want things to become much more approachable to patients. I, I personally believe in healthcare, we've done a terrible job of speaking to patients. Uh, everywhere in the healthcare organization, we do a great job of getting colleagues in a room and talking about how great colleague A or colleague B is in their training and their fellowship or whatever it is. But it's it's not often approachable to patients, in my opinion. And I say that having guided my mother through some pretty serious health problems herself. So, um, you know, I, I, to me, I wanted the organization to be much more approachable, but we wanted to leave, let the data tell the tale. And I sort of thought we'd wind up here. And it was sort of validating for me that that's what the research organization came up with. They said, listen, you can keep the equity that you already have. Folks who know you already know you as quad A. But to those new people, this is much more approachable, this sort of quad A um, as every organization in the world is probably trying to become much more international and the world is becoming flatter and flatter every year, um, we deal with people who English is a second, third, fourth language and may not be based in the U.S. And so sort of thinking along the same lines as British Petroleum going to BP and BP only really meaning BP nowadays, yeah. uh, we sort of did the same thing. And so uh, that very long acronym became Quad A, uh, which is pretty familiar to those who know us and is no different to those who don't. And I really like the new designs too. I, I like the new logo. It definitely is, uh, is eye catching there. And, uh, I, of course we record all these things using, uh, zoom. Uh, so the two of us are looking at each other and I really like, uh, um, the, uh, the logo in the corner of your, uh, your screen. They're almost as nice as mine. Um, 
<laughs> you know, the, the other change I would say that we've done, uh, just to to kind of tie up uh, on your on your question, is you know sure. I think we've really built out our staff in a in a yeah. different way. Every time we have any staff turnover, we go through a pretty exhaustive process to see what the person who leave who's leaving what they were doing, what their responsibilities were, whether we still need those responsibilities, and how that might change. And so it's a pretty rigorous process that has led us to really kind of change the makeup of our team and, and professionalize in certain areas where we were kind of lacking in, in previously. And so we have a much larger clinical team that reviews uh, all reports now uh, for consistency. So consistency is something that every accreditor struggles with and every state agency yeah. struggles with. And so we try to centralize our QA process so that there is a lot of consistency and we can kind of take out some of the variability between if you get an anesthesiologist and a surgeon, you're going to get a different survey uh, based on their background. So we try to, to flatten that as much as possible through our, our uh, clinical review team. Uh, we've right-sized our board so that the board is working in the right areas with lending their clinical expertise to standards and investigations and appropriate things. And we really brought on a lot of uh, very knowledgeable people who have experience in other accrediting organizations uh, within CMS itself. And so it's brought a tremendous amount of expertise uh, into our organization. And the final and probably most apparent change that we've had is a major investment in upgrading our technology and our uh, IT infrastructure. So still, still a work in progress, but uh, anybody who works with us will notice uh, a lot more stuff going cloud-based, a lot more uh, activities being uh, self-serve on the web portal. Uh, so yeah, I know we're, we'll probably talk a little bit about some of that later on in terms of how we communicate with facilities, but there's a lot more opportunity for a facility to do some maintenance updates, staffing update, contact information, and the like directly on our portal, uh, submitting applications on the portal, making payments on the portal, as opposed to sort of uh, pen and paper old-fashioned yeah. methods that we were we were working with up until last year. And of course, you're you're just following what the our organizations are all doing anyway. I mean, they're you know they're using less and less paper. There's you know we're trying to get rid of those blasted binders that we used to give to hand to all of our surveyors. Uh, we we hated them. I'm sure your surveyors hated them also. Well, and and not for the least bit too. You know, um, we have tight deadlines. We all, anybody yeah. who's working in an ASC knows that the deadlines for submission and POCs and all that are very quick. And if we could limit the time spent in transit or, you know, waiting for FedEx to drop off a packet and we can instantaneously transmit uh, survey data, survey findings, review them and get them back out to the facility and they can submit in real time. It makes uh, the process, it gives the facility a lot more time to come into compliance with any deficiencies they might have had. Yeah, definitely technology is something I've noticed uh, huge differences between the different organizations. Um, I, I, you know, not not to beat on our or, or to, to uh, talk too much about your competition. But one of the things th that I really liked about Joint Commission is at the end of the survey, you just, you know, press a button and you go in and, and uh, you know, have a summary of all your, your findings there, which, uh, you know, now they're temporary or they're preliminary at that point. But I think that's the way all of us are probably heading. All the accrediting organizations are heading. So technology is a really big deal. Yeah, and to that point, you know, we're very fortunate. In uh, middle of last year, we essentially acquired uh, a development team, so we have a, a full in-house development team, which we never really had before, and and that sort of goes part and parcel with that professionalization of certain aspects of the business that before were kind of, you know, run as needed with outside contractors and things like that. So now we have a, a fully dedicated team that is constantly upgrading, constantly testing, and constantly optimizing what we're working with. And as I said, it's a work in progress, but I can tell you we're we're a lot further along than we were a few weeks ago, and in a few weeks we'll be in a whole different place again. Well, that that's an interesting uh, point. Is that I I don't know I, I don't I can't say I know too much about the IT structure of many of the organizations, but uh, so you have your own in house development team, which means you're able to change things a lot quicker. I'm assuming. Uh, we, we would hope, uh, you know, obviously these are very complex dependencies, True. so um, it, it obviously takes time to test and things like that. But the good news is that we we don't have to compete with other clients. Right. Uh, if we're using an outside contractor, we don't we have folks that are working essentially around the clock to make sure that we're upgrading and optimizing or even little things like dealing with data issues. If something gets, you know, a little bit squirrely in the back end and a record just isn't appearing the way it should. There's someone at the other end of the phone that we can contact that can go inside under, you know, behind the curtain and fix it. Oh, beautiful. 
Well, as I led, you know, with this, ASCs do have a choice in the accrediting organizations, of course, and that competition is uh, is really increasing dramatically. You know, and we're showing. Uh, we were just talking about you were at a, a conference recently. I just came from Ohio. You know, two of the accrediting organizations were represented there. We, I've been at some conferences where all four of the major organizations are out there. And as I mentioned to you before. You know, we even started when I did a, a speech recently on, you know, kind of updating the, the audience on what's going on with accrediting organizations. I asked the audience how many people were considering a change. And fully a third of this audience said, uh, you know, we're, we're considering other organizations. And that would have been unheard of, I would say, even three years ago. So, so that begs the question, what makes Quad A different from all those other accrediting organizations? What sets you aside? I think from the program standpoint, there's there's four major uh, distinguishing factors that I that I often point to. But before you get to those four factors, I think there's an organizational philosophy that sets us apart. And I think a lot of the organizations feel the same way, and it's how we it's how we live that promise or live that sort of organizational philosophy that I, I do think sets us apart. Because I agree with you, I've seen that dynamic. We traditionally thought being with an accreditor is incredibly sticky. You know, it's really hard to get people over the barrier to exit. But I think that barrier has come down quite a bit, yeah. especially with trans transitory uh, staff, because you bring in a nurse who's with one organization and all yeah. of a sudden your organization's with that organization. Um, but, you know, I think our organization, we used to say, you know, when you call a real life person answers the phone, we can't quite say that anymore because we have direct dial. So, you know, you do get yeah. sometimes you do get the little uh, automated system. But our, our office is always staffed and always there. And I think. Mm -hmm. You know that's really that's really the key is that there's someone someone there who cares and who's going to help you. Um, we try to be reasonable. We try to get back to everybody within within two days. Uh, really, we try to do it that day. But you know, the reality is the reality that we, we're each we're serving thousands of centers, um, and so you know that's not practical. But we do we do our best to put a human touch on it and to educate because no matter what the the requirement is, whether it's a federal regulation or a standard. The bar is the bar and the objective is to get the facility to the bar. So why would we hide the ball on them? Why would right. we not educate and facilitate achieving that goal? So I think philosophically, that's what we're there for, because we see the patients as our ultimate customer, right? Mm. The facility's paying the bill. Medicare might be reimbursing in an ASC setting. But the real the real beneficiary of our service is the patient. It's It's my mother. It's people's aunts. It's people's fathers and brothers and children. And the idea there is that we're working to benefit them. <laughs> and so it, it doesn't benefit that patient to just sort of say, you're deficient. Yeah. And then the, when, the, when the facility is looking to you for help, say, we can't help you, you're deficient, and just let them kind of flounder. So I think that's philosophically where we are. In terms of the program, I think we are incredibly transparent, yeah. as you talked about before. Uh, you can see our standards online. It's not behind a paywall. Uh, you can see our prices online. It's not behind a paywall. Uh, I'm not quite sure how the other organizations charge. I know how we charge. Uh, and it might be changing a little bit just to, to match the market as to, as to how we calculate. But the guarantee I can make is that it will always be transparent. Mm -hmm. Anybody can go online and look and see exactly what they'll pay before they have to pay it. I think that's that's a key. But from a programmatic standpoint, our differentiators are fourfold. We have a 100% compliance mandate. We're the only organization, to my knowledge, that has that. And so one of that, that sounds tough. It sounds hard. And, and it probably is a, takes a little bit more dedication. But the point is, in my opinion, that sets the facility up for long-term success. Every other organization that I know of, including Medicare, accepts a plan of correction in order to confer accreditation. Well, it's easy to to put in a plan in a meeting, and then it's really easy to get busy and then have that plan not come to full fruition because we've all done it. We, we, we do it too. So requiring full compliance and evidence of compliance before we confer accreditation allows us to feel confident that the facility is set up to succeed long-term. Uh, and then th they feel supported to, to succeed long-term. We're also the or only organization, to my knowledge, in the world that has mandatory data reporting. And so on a quarterly basis, every physician in every facility must must put in uh, three random cases. We also collect the total number of cases done in each in each facility for that quarter so that we can study population level data. So all unanticipated events, a couple of random events, and then a random cases, and then, you know, the full total number of surgeries so that we can start to pull out infection data, hematoma data, that's rates, that's something real other than 
there was 30 infections. Well, it's a lot different if there's 30 out of 100 or 30 out of 100,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to, to collect those rates allows us to work with research partners. We have research partners at Harvard and University College London. And I think that's something that we do that's much different than than any other organization that I know. And so it helps us drive the standards forward and quantify the impact that we have on the facilities. Can I follow up on that? Because yeah. I, I think what you're saying is that you're actually assisting the organizations in doing their uh, external benchmarking, if I'm hearing you correctly. In some ways, yes. I mean, we're, we're doing this from a population level and not on, a, on an individualized facility yeah. level. But no, in my mind, that can sort of helps you with the smell test, right? Right. right. Um, one of the really great studies that came out from our from our Harvard partners a couple of years ago, and spoiler alert, they're working on an update uh, yeah. uh, right now, is that they found that when um, DBT or VTE or pulmonary emboli occur, uh, when those have occurred, all of the appropriate screening methods weren't done or they weren't yeah. done properly. And so we're still able to quantify that that here's a here's a gap. And so even if we're not singling out a specific facility, we can sort of publish these papers and raise a level of awareness that allows a facility director or nursing director or quality assurance officer to go back to the facility and say, I want to really look at our, you know, VTE prophylaxis and VTE screening protocols to make sure that we're being um, diligent because here's a way to to really avoid a risk that is the leading cause of death. You know, when there is a death, it's most likely going to be, you know, uh, VTE or DVT. So, you know, from that respect, yes, we don't we don't sort of give everybody their own grade and, and yeah, report no, card, which would be great, but would also be terrifying, right, yeah. for facilities. Well, but they have access um, to this information, and otherwise, often they would have to pay for it from some other source, or it might not be as relevant to them because it's not a population of uh, ambulatory surgery centers, for example. It, exactly, and and, yeah. and these are all these all wind up going into peer reviewed journals. Um, so you know, yeah. I, I think we had one article go into the British Journal on uh, reconstructive surgery, and that the Harvard folks kind of publish all over wherever they can yeah. get wherever they can get it. <laughs> uh, but but you know that I think that's that's really powerful. Yeah. Uh, and then the last two quickly uh, pieces that we have are um, that we require um, we require uh, board certification or eligibility in the specialty you're practicing in. Most people are going to going to have that or try to maintain that, but we think that that's a really important uh, factor to keep away from scope creep. So, um, again, between 100% compliance mandate, requiring evidence for corrections, the the mandatory data reporting, and um, and uh, the board certification process, I feel confident in saying when someone transparently looks at our standards, our prices. They know they're getting uh, extraordinary value for their money as we're a nonprofit, so we're not really looking to, to make a, a, a windfall. And, um, and and they also feel that it's a strong program. I, I feel very confident. I know the other organizations do a great job as well, but I feel very confident in our program and know the strength of the program and how accessible it is. Uh, but it does take work. It's not, it's not easy just because it might be simple and clear. Yeah. Uh- so you mentioned earlier the consistency of surveys. I mean, that that is a big uh, topic of conversation. We, uh, we have a, a patron program, and many of the members of our patron program get together on Saturday mornings to talk about what's going on. And I would say among that, as well as among the clients of Ambitory Healthcare Strategy, the biggest complaint that we have with surveys is the lack of consistency of the surveyors are out out there. So you you talked about that in the beginning. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And you know, what is your pool of surveyors? Who who do you pull upon for surveyors? Yeah. So so the surveyor it is a peer based process, which I think most of the organizations are. So in our world, that means that a surgeon or a nurse or an anesthesia provider is going to be performing the surveys, and usually it's a team of multiple of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know. Um, they're all folks who work in ambulatory settings, so they're they're very familiar with the settings. They go through training with us, and um, we we work them through a QA process relatively consistently. And, um, so we have, uh, I think it's quarterly check-ins on essentially satisfaction reviews and mm-hmm. and even statistics. Right? Um, you know, many years ago we found folks were kind of speeding up the process and maybe going a little too quick where they weren't quite being as thorough as they should have been. And so we have a few metrics that are not automatic triggers in any way or another. But if all of a sudden we see that a surveyor is falling below these metrics or multiple of these metrics, we, we then collect more data to do a more thorough mm-hmm. deep dive review into the, their surveyor conduct. 
Uh, we so will have collegial intervention with with senior surveyors. We'll have additional walk-alongs and mentorship if somebody's kind of struggling in an area. Um, and and sort of they they sort of get their their own report card as to how they're they're performing as a surveyor and how facilities see their performance. Now, there's always a fine line to walk there because if you're citing a bunch of folks, they're unlikely to be very happy with yeah. Uh, and so sometimes the surveyors who do a great job get the lowest satisfaction scores. Right. Um, but the other thing that we've implemented uh, in the last two years, which I think is really powerful, is we've done uh, regular surveyor calls. And our surveyor calls, I think they're quarterly at this point. Um, they're about an hour or 90 minutes. They're recorded so that people can watch them asynchronously. And what we have is people doing shared learnings. We conduct um, we conduct surveys and look at the responses. And a lot of times it's testing questions of testing fact patterns against, would you see this in a survey? What would you do? Would you cite it? Would you not? We see what the answers are and we talk about it because, you know, obviously we're testing the ones that are finer detailed calls yeah. and that we suspect the surveyors are going to get wrong so that it gives us an opportunity to educate. And so I think that helps a lot. The other effort is that we've, we've really relied on volunteer surveyors um, a lot in the past. And that leads to infrequent survey, which even with the best of intentions is not always, you know, the, the best quality. And so we're transitioning now into a more professionalized cadre of surveyors where we're bringing folks on at, you know, essentially quarter time, half time and full time. And we're bringing on a mix of contracted surveyors who we still want practicing in the ambulatory environment yeah. because we don't want to lose in touch with what it's like to be a practitioner. Right. Um, but then they're, they're performing much more regular surveys to up the quality, to, to shrink the pool a little bit so that we have, you know, kind of a better ability to speak to them because it's a lot easier to speak to 65 people than 650 people. Yeah. So you alluded to this earlier, Tom. Uh, what is the uh, the process for ongoing communication with your accredited organizations? You know, given that, as you mentioned, you're, you know, one of the primary ways we communicate with our or accrediting organizations, of course, is through the computer. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of uh, walk us through um, maybe may where you are right now. And of course, I'm assuming changes are coming too. you know, where you intend to be with regard to this ongoing communication, because that really is one of those differentiating elements for you. Yeah, well, so first of all, I think what you said there was perfectly appropriate. Changes are coming. I think it's always safe to assume changes are coming. I think yeah. for any ASCs out there listening, assume changes are always coming, whether it's a, <laughs> whether point. it's a new standard or a, a revision to a practice or, or some change in the in the process or our communication style. Um, you know, things are always evolving. Um, and I, I think it's a good thing for healthcare in general. Uh, what we do is we we do try to speak to facilities via email as much as possible. One, because your time is precious. And two, it's just really hard to catch people on the phone nowadays and to, to communicate with busy doctors and busy nurses. We know there's worker shortages. We know after the pandemic, some folks didn't come back. It spurred a retirement uh, boom. Uh, it What they call it, the, the great resignation uh, happened. Um, and it happened in medicine too. And I just saw a statistic the other day and I'm sure it's not news to people, but every year for the next 20 years, 3 million people will be reaching retirement age and and, and stop working. Yeah. So in, over the next 20 years, we're going to lose 60 million workers in the U.S., which is going to put a strain on the work workforce, uh, which makes email communication that much more effective. Long, long way to get to that, to that outcome. Uh, our new system actually automates a lot of our communication, which is good. Um, but also sometimes I think people feel like they're just getting robo kind of emailed and we're definitely not trying to do that. What we're trying to do is maintain regular communication with the facility and let them know where they are in the process. So our, our web portal, as I discussed, is evolving. And right now you can apply online and we're adding little cookie crumbs so you can see where you are in the application process. Mm -hmm. And then when you hit certain mile markers, you'll get an automated email saying, okay, you submitted your application. It's under its initial review. Then you can, you know, expect to hear from your accreditation specialist and so on and so forth. Once you get through up to accreditation, we're, we're working with our scheduling team. We get we get a surveyor scheduled out, and you get accredited, and that's pretty intensive uh, direct communication because that's you know here are your findings. We yeah. need your we need your uh, plans of correction. We need your corrective uh, evidence, and then we confer accreditation. And that's usually when it kind of goes silent. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now the benefits our organization is because we have quarterly peer review. There's still kind of regular check in because we're either reminding you of a period that's open. I, I called it peer review. We call it PSDR now because there is a difference between traditional physician to physician peer review and this data reporting. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> because of that quarterly uh, data reporting, 
we're consistently emailing or sending out newsletters with reminders that say October 15th, you know, third quarter uh, data is due. Please make sure you submit it. And now October 16th rolls around, you get a reminder that that um, that the, the period is now closed. And if you're not in compliance, then, then you know, you have some <clears throat> catch up work to do. So we have we have regular communication through that. Mm-hmm. And we try to use that as also a conduit to keep things updated. If you lose staff, if you have turnover, medical director changes, to keep us abreast of those uh, uh, changes is is really important. And then we actually start the process of of communication for renewals about six months early because by the time we jockey around with with documents and things like that, we want to make sure that we never have an ASC that goes beyond its expiration date because that's a big red flag for Medicare, yeah. both for the facility and for us. And we don't want our report card going down either. So we start about six months prior so that we can work through that process and still have a big enough window to provide an unannounced survey prior to expiration. And so I think we do a decent job. To be honest with you, it's always walking, again, another knife's edge. Because we also don't want to be a pain. We don't want to be a burden. We don't want to mm-hmm. kind of always be on top of you, but we don't want to disappear and only come around when it's time to renew. So it's a fine balance to try to walk. I think one of the best things we can do and we're attempting to do is just make us more part of uh, an ASC's normal operations. Mm-hmm. If that's a matter of seeing our weekly newsletter and seeing some relevant uh, topics, some relevant uh, articles or two. Um, if it's just seeing a couple of emails about, uh, you know, whether it's social media or about announcing a new hire or announcing a new program, if it's reminders about PSDR, it just keeps us top of mind. And the more we can keep people kind of working in the same area, then we become top of mind. And then they, they can, the facilities continue to say, okay, here's a resource. Here's something that's not just about telling me what I'm doing wrong every day, honestly, yeah. but here's someone who's trying to help. Here's someone who's trying to be part of a conversation with us. And, you know, we just kind of keep it, you know, on maybe our second screen and and be aware that we need to update when people change over, update our contact information, when roles change and things like that, and just be part of that conversation. I think that's the most important part. Well, and, and that as part of that ongoing communication, we always know that, um, you know, the accrediting organizations, when when something occurs, when a change occurs, or if they want to implement a new service, or they have a question about, you know, uh, like uh, a change they want to make in the way they're uh, providing their services, um, they often will want to know uh, an answer from the accrediting organization. How do you handle things like that? Good question. So there's there's a couple of things. If, if if a facility is changing, I would say like staffing or structure, adding a specialty, moving, renovating, um, our new portal. I think I think it's actually we're, we're it's there. Uh, I'm not sure if it's been rolled out yet. I, I forget where things are in our testing environment versus our live environment because I see both of them so frequently. Yeah. But essentially, they submit those changes directly into the system. So they say we're adding Dr. Smith on November first. Here's all of the relevant documents about Dr. Smith. They submit it. It goes in through that change request form into our office and can be uh, can be approved. Same if they say we want to go from providing moderate sedation to general anesthesia. Mm-hmm. They submit that question. It generates a requirement for a survey, and then we can go on from there. <clears throat> the other one is if you have an interpretation question, yeah. which I think you know you're talking about. You know, quite frequently that's a that's a big question. Right. I want to do this. Is it going to be compliant? I bought this new <laughs> doctor just came in with this new piece of equipment. Is it compliant? Yeah, because we yeah. just spent six figures on it, right? <laughs> um, and so we have an email address that I'll give out. So I'll, I'll give it a little room to breathe. It. It's standards at quada.org. So standards at quada.org. And that is an email drop box that goes to our clinical team of nurses. Um, and they will review and escalate anything that they can't review and answer to our our standards committee, which is, you know, anesthesia providers, surgeons, nurses, even therapy, you know, PT and speech therapists. So we have a, a wide array of medical experts that would review that and provide a, a thoughtful researched answer. And we're actually in the process right now of collecting some of those frequently asked questions so that if you type in one that's already been answered a hundred times, if you send that to us, we have a response ready to go. And and those are one of the, those are those resources that we're trying to build out more into the online community that makes us a, a kind of a 
a more regular part of a conversation with the facility to have more FAQ type stuff. But that standards at quadA.org email address is really the key for if you have a compliance or interpretation issue. Perfect. Well, and it sounds like your uh, website is really a great source of information. Do you also provide educational uh, programs for people that are considering accreditation or getting ready for accreditation? Both of those things, I would say, are a work in progress. So the resources are there and coming on. It's a slow process to build out the website and to get the well-researched answers out there um, and to get them through all the levels of review. Once you put something on the website, everyone wants to take a take a look at it and make sure it's compliant and that it's not uh, going to cause a problem. Um, but those resource pages are coming. And if there's some there and there's more to come, and so as you said before, expect change. Yeah. Um, and, and the same with educational content. I, I will be quite frank with you and, and transparent as that's the name of the game. I think in the past, we just relied on our surveyor training way too much. We said, hey, if you want to know more, come to our surveyor training, learn more. You'll see exactly how the surveyors are trained and you'll know what they expect. And that's true to a degree. Uh, but I think there's also a lot of education we could provide uh, about kind of living a compliant life, as I like to say, yeah. and kind of being compliant every day best practices in infection control or hand hygiene or the other. So that's one of my big, um, uh, it's the bee in my bonnet right now for next year is to is to create a, a much more robust educational program that is available to accredited facilities so that they can improve and uh, increase the capacity of new staff or, or existing staff as they go through retrainings with more information that isn't really directly technically relevant to compliance, but is relevant to your practice and improving your practice that has a downstream effect of making you more compliant on a daily basis. Perfect. And uh, I did want to also point out that uh, uh, Michonne, the, our, our mutual contact here that uh, that's uh, helped expedite this, she and I have been talking about making sure that we maintain a good a lot of communication between Quad A and the podcast, so that uh, we can announce any, you know, any uh, educational opportunities, any changes that are, are relevant, and you know, we have those contacts with other accrediting organizations, and it it just it's it's uh, it's time that we uh, develop a better uh, uh, line of communication there, and that certainly will happen. And I appreciate Michonne's uh, uh, help in that. Yeah, absolutely. As you can tell, I'm a chatterbox. Uh, you've known <laughs> Michonne probably as long or longer than I have, so you know that she is just the same. Yeah. So uh, I don't think we'd ever be short for words for you uh, if you ever have any questions or if there are any seismic changes that we want to cover. I appreciate that. And uh, just an FYI, I think you know this, uh, Tom, and certainly Michonne does, that uh, we are working on developing a, uh, a session in our uh, multi-state conference in June of 2024 that's going to bring all of the accrediting organizations together. So we're we're very excited about the planning's already starting on that and uh, more to come, but that's going to be another opportunity to hear from all the accrediting organizations, including Quad A, about you know the benefits and the differences uh, and the changes coming down the pike. Tom, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me, and, and I can't wait to be more out in front of the ASC community because, as I said before, We've been in it since 97, but I think we were sort of only knee deep. And I think it's time for us to take the plunge and really be part of the community. So I appreciate the opportunity to really be in front of uh, your audience today. Thank you. In this segment, we provide an update on upcoming topics for the podcast our upcoming virtual conferences, and upcoming speaking engagements for John and his staff and other events in the ASC industry. And uh, just update everybody on what's coming up in our uh, future podcast. We have uh, a lot of interviews that we have recorded at conferences over the last couple uh, months and a lot of uh, great uh, and diverse discussions, uh, and we're going to be mixing that in with our uh, – we're, we're kind of cycling through again all the accreditation and – certification rules, uh, kind of updating people uh, on that. And if you are uh, getting ready for a survey, don't forget, just do a, a search on the ASC podcast website, mm -hmm. and you'll be able to get a lot of information on prior podcasts about that. But we're going to be uh, redoing most of those conversations and updating them over the next couple, uh, over the next year.
Let's uh, remind everybody of some upcoming conferences. The Washington Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's annual education conference and trade show is November 9th and 10th, 2023 at the Tulalip Resort and Spa in Tulalip, Washington. I'm going to be speaking there, and uh, I think we're going to be recording a special episode. I can't wait to get up there. I, I just uh, mm-hmm. I love that area, and uh, that hotel is very, very nice. And the introduction to finance and accounting for ambulatory surgery centers is November 16th, 2023, live, virtual, and on demand after that date, as we had mentioned earlier. That's right. More For more information, via, visit asc-central.com. And on the next day, the ASC Conditions for Coverage and Interpretive Guidelines Conference is going to be November 17th. Uh, and that's also going to be live, virtual, and on demand after that date. And again, asc-central.com. And ASCA 2024 will be at the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center in Orlando, Florida on April 17th through the 20th, 2024. And the Georgia Society of ASCs and the South Carolina ASC Association's Joint Semiannual Conference and Trade Show is going to be February 22nd, 23rd, uh, 2024 in Atlanta, Georgia. And then another one at the Western Atlanta Perimeter North uh, on August 15th and 16th, 2024. And that's going to be in Hilton Head, at the Marriott Hilton Heads uh, Resort and Spa. And the Gulf States Conference from Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi ASCs is June 11th through the 13th, 2024 in Biloxi, Mississippi. And the Florida Society of Ambulatory Surgery Center's Quality and Risk Management Conference is April 4th through 5th. 2024 in Daytona Beach, Florida, and that at the uh, Hilton Oceanfront Resort, and their annual conference and trade show is July 17th through the 19th, 2024, in Orlando, Florida, at the Signia by Hilton Orlando Bonnet Creek. And the Tennessee Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's conference is September 12th and 13th, 2024, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and at the Chattanoogan. And uh, just to remind you of some of our upcoming boot camps, the October cohort of the ASC Director of Nursing Boot Camp is October 31st through November 3rd, and the January 2024 cohort of the ASC Administrators Boot Camp is January 23rd, 23rd through 26th, 2024. And you get more information about both of those boot camps at asc-central.com. And there are on-demand versions of the ASC Director of Nursing, the ASC Administrator, and the ASC Business Office Managers Boot Camps that are also available on asc-central.com. And don't forget about all of our recorded events, also available on asc-central.com. That's the Credentialing Conference recorded in 2020, the Medical Director Conference in 2021. And you might also be interested in our June 2023 on-demand version of the Multi-State Conference, which is eligible for 16 AEUs and 4 IPCH credits. And the conference includes a lot of great sessions on infection control, life safety, survey preparation, human resources. There was a nice introduction to the Medicare ASC payment system, a pharmacy update, and a discussion of staff retention. And see, what's really nice about that conference is that 16 credit hours for $299. uh, And uh, each of those sessions was two hours long. So it wasn't uh, wasn't an overview. They were uh, in-depth discussions there. And I hope uh, that uh, people, as they uh, are getting ready to uh, submit all of their uh, AEU credits and IPCH credits, take uh, advantage of that opportunity. That's that's a very cost-effective way to get credits. And a reminder for everyone to become a patron member of the podcast, the patron member program, which is also available on asc-central.com, is an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance operations and financial management resource for busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. And resources include some of our virtual conferences, links to all kinds of resources, policies and procedures, forms, and fire and disaster drills. And also, uh, patron members get to join us on our regular, uh, usually weekly, drop-in sessions at uh, uh, on Zoom. And right now they're on Saturdays. We've been toying around every once in a while for uh, uh, on Fridays, and we had actually a very good attendance at last Friday's uh, drop-in session. So again, all of that information is available on asc-central.com. And membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including our research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. If you found this episode informative, we encourage you to share it with your friends and colleagues in the ASC industry. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. We would love any feedback about our episodes or ideas for future episodes. Please send us an email at comments at ASCpodcast.com. 
We'd like to give a special thank you to our great team here who make this podcast possible, our sound editor, Susan Cronkite, our executive producer, John Gailey, and our dedicated research team, Sue Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Kalaridis, Jim Masters, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, Kathy Fodi, Donna Macchio, and Christina Norman. We couldn't do it without them. Our music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah, and the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast platforms. Thank you for listening. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, Trivalence, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Surgical Information Systems provides cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable insights. Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies is the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute, legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you are interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.